Hello and welcome to the second chapter season four. I'm your host, Kristen Duffy, and I am thrilled to be back with more women over 35 sharing stories of their lives and careers. This little podcast is growing. So a huge thank you to all of our loyal listeners. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Have a listen, and then please recommend to a friend. I want to share these stories of amazing women 35 plus with as many people as we can reach. Today, I'm speaking with Jennifer Baker. It took the collapse of her translation business during COVID for her to stop hiding in the corner and to start saying yes. And through saying yes, she's rediscovered her true talent and passion, art. I decided I was going to say yes and follow my intuition. I was going to paint all the time. Every There, there was still no translation work. I, I said, I'm going to paint. This is when all this magic started happening. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for joining me today. How are you? Hi, Kristen. I'm fine. Really glad to be here. Yes, I'm really glad to have you. Thank you so much for coming to share a bit about your story. I'm really looking forward to it because I ask you some questions in advance and a few of them were very elusive. I actually didn't do that on purpose, but when I read them back, I thought, oh, I was being mysterious. So I didn't do it on purpose, but yeah. I like the mystery though. So when I was looking at your story, obviously this is the second chapter podcast and I feel like you have several chapters. But I was wondering if you were looking at your own life so far, what would the chapters be? How would you divide it up into chapters? Oh, that's a great question. I was okay. That's a great way of looking at life. I'm very visual and I see things more than I, that's helpful to me. So the first chapter would definitely be my childhood. Obviously I grew up in Florida and with my family, that's the first chapter, but I left Florida when I was 18 and moved to New York city went to art school. So the New York years would be the second chapter with a little bit of what happened right after that when I was going to go to grad school. And then I didn't because I moved to Italy. And that's my third big chapter. Very big chapter, got married, moved to Italy. I have a fifth and sixth chapter. I'm, I, that's, that's why I've done a lot. Fifth chapter, going back to the United States, half and half. We still do that now. And the sixth chapter is returning to myself as a painter, which is what I'm in now. And I hope that chapter lasts forever till there are no more chapters. I don't think I've talked to anyone who you would really technically call on their second chapter. I think we probably all have at least five or six and maybe more at this point. I'm really intrigued because like you said, you've come back to your painting and your art, but you've studied it before. So I think somewhere between the second and the third chapter, maybe the art school, but then moving to Italy, because obviously that was a huge change. Tell me a little bit about art school and then Italy. Why Italy? I went to New York City right out of high school in Florida because I won a full scholarship to to a really great art school, one of the best in the United States. I was always an artist. I, I literally don't remember not being an artist even when I was a little, little girl. When I moved to New York City and went to school, I was still just totally consumed with that part of my being. It it was really all that I was. And when I graduated, left school, I moved to the West of the United States. I didn't want to live in the city anymore. That had a lot to do with my art as just what I am inspired by. I'm very inspired by large spaces, the natural world, natural phenomenon. And I went and moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I was, I was 22 and I was going to figure out how to do life pretty much after college. (laughs) And I had, and I'd been to this very intense art school where your identity as an artist, and I was in 
New York City, and it, it was during the 80s. It was a very intense time to be there. And so when I moved out west, I had this moment of, like I think most people do, of feeling lost, not knowing what I was doing, not knowing who I was, not knowing how to be an adult, all those things. I spent a couple of years there and was starting to get a grip back on who I was as an artist. I had just found a little art studio and I started painting again. I painted all the way through, but my painting is very physical and it requires space. And so okay. if I'm moving around or I'm living in a one-room apartment or something, it's hard for me to do. I'm, I paint with oils. They're big. You can't do it in your bedroom. It just doesn't right. work. Um, I, I just found a little art studio that I was starting to paint the way I wanted to again. And I took a little vacation with a girlfriend and I went to Mexico, to the mountains in Mexico. And that's where I met the man that would become my husband. He's Italian. And that that was the big pivot of my life right there. I mean, I think it's a big pivot for anyone's life, but I packed up and moved to Italy. And when I did it, I didn't know I was moving. I just said, well, I'm going to go visit, but I'm going to sell my car first because <laughs> I need the money to buy the plane ticket kind of thing. So I'm going to go and if it doesn't work out, I'll just come back. And I didn't come back. I, I love that kind of, I'll go for a visit. And yeah, that's that. Yeah, that was, I'm a very free spirited. I've moved a lot. And I've done a lot. And I, I tend to take risks with the idea. Actually, it's something I still say to myself today that we can talk about later when we're talking about what I'm doing now. But when I take a risk, I say, if it doesn't work, I can go back. Yeah. I've never gone back on anything, but I always give myself the option. I love that. I think it, I think it makes it easier. Yeah. Yeah. Because to go backwards is not a great thing, but to know that you have that option makes the forward a little bit easier. Right. It's like stepping into fear and saying, if it all really does go to the worst case scenario and everything is wrong and everything doesn't work, I'll go back. Right. It's always given me the opportunity to keep just taking, I've taken a lot of large risks in my life and that's helped me. And like I said, I've never gone back. So when I moved to Italy, that was really where my artistic practice changed in a huge mm -hmm. way. And it changed in a huge way, meaning I moved to Italy and this was in 1990, 1991. So this was before the internet, before satellite television, before cell phones, all that, because now I talk to people that live all over the world, expats. And like, yeah, it's a drag because I can't get peanut butter or something. But for me, <laughs> right. it was, I couldn't even hear English ever at all. So when I moved over here, I really, I, I can look back on it now 30 years later and see I had a huge identity crisis of who I was. I was very young. I was, I loved my husband and that was good. And we're still married today, but everything else became, oh, what's the word? Like now I can look at it and see, I really reinvented myself without meaning to, you know, I, I had to learn Italian right away. Mm -hmm. I'm good with foreign languages and I learned it very quickly. I became such an Italian that I started dreaming in Italian. I would go back to the United States sometimes and see people and they say, where are you from? I didn't have the accent when I spoke Amer like my American English was messed up. So all of that came with me not having a space to paint in and then not having my artist identity. There's, there's something about being an artist. I've talked to other artists. When someone asks you who you are, what do you do? If you say you're an artist, the, the stereotypical and usual response I found is, well, 
what else do you do? That's really like, right. There's this stereotypical idea of you can't do that for a living. That can't really be who you are, or you look way too normal, or you didn't chop your ear off, or you actually you have a family <laughs> and children and like a normal life, but you're an artist. I don't get it. So it's true. It's there, there's a lot of stereotypes that go along with it. They're pretty loaded and pretty hard to deal with sometimes. So I um I started having children. We went and lived on the top of a mountain. I had two two kids and I didn't paint for a few years there when my kids were young. I was just mm-hmm. surviving those years when I think about it. I was happy, but I was there was this huge part of me that was not quite in the closet, but definitely in way in the back, way in the back of my life, way in the back of the room. And I was doing all the other things that I think we as women, I'm saying we because almost all women that I know of my age, if they've had a family especially, spend this bulk of their life when their children are born, literally pushing back other parts of themselves to make space mm-hmm. for that. And I really did that. I really wanted children and to be a mother. But I can see now, in hindsight is 2020, I really did push back a lot of the things about me and myself to the back to make that happen. Those two chapters, that's what happened. I just started being a mom and we owned a business. We owned a lodge up in the mountains, this big restaurant where I was working and I had babies. (laughs) It was just a crazy time. (laughs) The idea of running a lodge and a restaurant and all this, in addition to the fact that you moved to this other country and then you're up in the mountains. So that's more isolation. Plus you have to be, that might've been the dream if it was like, I just want to be alone to paint. But when it's that you're running a business and having kids, it's almost like you're in this little bubble because even though you're dealing with people, you're not, you you don't get the kind of friendship of living in a town or a city. That does sound like it would be really hard for your identity. Yeah. The word isolation was really that, that you used. That's really what it was. And like I said, when I was in it, I didn't know it. Yeah. And now when I, and then when I look back at it and I can really see that's what was happening. And so I was also young. I was 20, well, I'm trying to think. I was 24, 25 when I moved here. So I was very young and we lived literally on the top of a mountain. So we were on the top of a mountain that there was no paved road to get to. It would snow in during the winter. We'd have to close during the winter. We had to pump our water. It was very romantically rustic from the outside, but being in it, it was very hard. (laughs) People would come visit and they'd say, oh, you're living the dream. And I'd say, oh my goodness. It was so gorgeous. We're in the Alps. There are cowbells in the distance, the yes. whole thing. Plus my husband's an Italian chef. Oh, he's, you know, cooking the food. But the actual, it was truly isolating. And I'm as a human being an introvert. And so and then I put that on top of it. I can remember the first time we got, we, we got one of those old satellite dishes on our, this is on our house. We have a house down the valley, the house I'm sitting in right now. And we got one of those satellite dishes and we put it on the roof and we turned on the TV and CNN came on. I don't <laughs> remember that moment. And when I heard someone speaking English, I could not even, I was so excited. It's just really, I still remember it. So what side of it's like the dream. And then the other side is like the shining. <laughs> You're just there. Alone. Yes. Yes. It was a great time in the sense that our children grew up there with the, both of us together, I, I wasn't home alone with kids, which I have a lot of friends who did that. It's very hard for them. But yeah, those were quite crazy years. But I, they didn't last forever. When my kids started to get to school age, we did move back down to our house. 
And I mm-hmm. live in a small, I think they actually call it a city. It's a small town to me. Don't ask me how many people live here because I do not know, but we are in, we're in town and uh, my kids went to school and we left that. And that's, that's when I started painting again, once I came back down. Okay. So when, how did the translation, translator business come into play? Yeah, that was a 20 year business. That was, if we're talking about my careers, that's the first chapter for sure. So when we moved back down to the city, my kids went to school and I started teaching English, which is what most expats back then did for a job. So I started Mm -hmm. teaching English. There's a larger city near here and I would go to the city and I was teaching adults. Most of them were professionals. Um, People, they were a lot of business people, a lot of doctors, pilots, people like that I was teaching. So Mm -hmm. I was teaching someone one day and I was just, I totally remember when I started teaching, I was quite happy about it because it was the first time I'd had an actual job that was just mine here being in Italy. It was my job, my paycheck. It wasn't our family business. It wasn't me being part of this, you know, that when we had the lodge and stuff, it was in my husband's name. This was my work and it was a big deal to me. I'd worked all my life. I started working when I was 15. When I started teaching, I thought, oh, okay, maybe I can do this. I just never, being an artist as my actual life's career wasn't there yet. So I started teaching and I was teaching someone who said, can you help me? It was someone that owned a large robotics factory. Okay. Mm. Of all things. And this person said, (laughs) can you help me translate something? Because you speak Italian so well. I said, okay. So I took it home and I translated it and I sent it. And then he said, how much do I owe you? And I said, Oh, Oh. I can charge people for this service. So that's how my translation business was born right there. And it grew. Obviously, I did it for 20 years and I, I, I became really good at it and had a very successful career with it. And it over time really worked with my lifestyle. We started traveling. We we would go back to the United States. At first we'd go for a couple months. Then we actually moved our kids there to finish off their schooling Mm. and we would come back and forth. And we also just like to travel in general. And I could translate with my computer from any island in the Caribbean or I, I, I could be wherever I wanted and it really worked for my lifestyle. I'm not a person who can go work for someone else ever. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. The, that's how the translation business was born. But I just fell straight into that just because I could speak Italian well and I'm a pretty decent writer. And so I just, boom, I just rolled right into that. Didn't make a choice about it. Didn't make a decision. Rolled into it. And I started painting right about then. I started painting. Mm-hmm. I found a studio here. It was it was a spare room in an old home down the street with this beautiful courtyard filled with jasmine and like mm. crumbling statues and the whole. And I started painting. And that was really, I'm trying to think what year that. It was probably like 2004, I think, or 2005. I started really painting again. And I felt this return to myself. I could tear up thinking about it because when I first started, even the smell of my studio would get me like I would start tearing up smelling the turpentine. I'd get so excited. So you said on your website, actually, I love that you say when I walk into my studio, I always feel that thrill. I'm coming home. And I just that was so moving to me because I think we all have that place, wherever it is, that smell or the walking into it is like coming home. Yeah, I still totally feel like that now. I just get so excited. And I I started painting then and I, I just painted for me. 
It was all about painting for me. And I didn't show it to anyone when I was doing, I was actually doing some larger work that years later I sold. But at the time I was just painting for me and I'd find these little snippets of time between teaching and picking up my kids at school and all of, all the other things came first still, but I managed to carve out this little, like little piece where I could walk in the studio, shut the door. And I was Jennifer. I like, wasn't the American woman that lives down there or people here started calling me Jenny just because it was easier for the Italians. And I'm not a Jenny. I'd never been a Jenny, but I I was Jennifer, the artist in that room. So where was I? Oh, my translation business. Kristen, I'll just tell you what happened with that because that's how I got to where I am today. My translation business was doing really well. And in 2020 and 2019, I'd had a banner year with it and I really upgraded some of my clients and I was doing quite well, meaning I had I was only taking work I wanted to do, which is a big deal in translation. A lot of translators take work to fill in the calendar and make ends meet. Mm -hmm. I was really only taking work I wanted to do. I'd highly specialized in some fields. I'd gotten certified in some other things. My husband and I were in the United States because we generally spend the winters in the United States from like October to March. And then COVID happened. It was just, that's what happened. COVID happened for me and for everyone else on the planet. And so when COVID happened, it happened first in Italy and all of our family is in Italy, all of my husband's family, my family as well. So we were following what was happening with them. And I was in the United States where people were, were acting like it wasn't going to happen for some crazy reason. And then of course it happened and had, we went through this big lockdown and I went from my income in March, 2020 was normal. And in April, it was zero. It went from normal to zero. Yeah. And my husband also went from normal income to zero because of his work. You mentioned at one point that he was an Italian chef. So was he chefing this kind of whole time? Was Is that what he does when he's in the States as well? Or is he no, multifaceted? He only does that well? for me now. <laughs> he only does that Lucky for me. You. <laughs> he only does that for me. No, we, once we left the lodge, we, he no longer worked in restaurant business because it's very hard. It's it really is. the hardest work I can imagine. It, it, it's, yeah. yeah. Anyone who's had anything to do, do with it knows how hard it is. So no, he's my husband. I, I could talk about him in this podcast, but that's not what it's about, but he's the best <laughs> human on the planet. And he he's a handyman and he's a fine wood carpenter. And all of his work died right when COVID happened too, because he was working in several homes and there was a lockdown and it was just done. Everything was over. Yes. So April 2020, I think for a lot of people, for me, it's just this total, it was just survival mode. My, my kids by now have gone to college. They're out, out in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of them was unemployed. The other one was finishing his master's and had come home to us in the U.S. for spring break and then didn't leave because his school went on lockdown and he couldn't fly. So he's yeah. stuck too. So we're all stuck. and. One of the things about my translation business is that I really felt like it gave me the, I could get my kids through school. And I kept, while I was working really hard in those years translating, and I'd convinced myself that I really loved it. Because parts Mm -hmm. of it, like I said, I did love. 
I loved the fact that I could be wherever I wanted to be and set my own hours and take my vacations when I wanted and work as much as those I wanted and be my own boss. I loved that. And I imagine as well, since it was successful, that you must have had, there's obviously a satisfaction as well that you're like, wow, I'm, I'm taking the projects I want on and people want to work yeah. with me. I'm doing great. So it, it's easy to trick yourself into being really happy through success as well. Yes. I think it's easy to know that you're not in your right career or truly happy if you're doing something that does give you some satisfaction and gives you enough money to live. I didn't make mountains of money, but I made I made enough money to get my kids to school. Mm-hmm. Both, both of them were in college at the same time. We could get them through. So it was also about the security blanket aspect of it. I felt secure. I'd been doing it long enough that even though it's one of these businesses that has ups and downs, I always knew it would be there and then I could mm-hmm. grow. And so when April happened, it's, it's literally in survival mode. I was scared. I was really terrified. And that's mm-hmm. the only way I can put it into words. I really felt terrified. I know so many people during that month when the whole world changed. And most of my clients, they're Italian and the Italian economy is just, it's barely popping back now right now. So we're a year and a half later, however long it is later, it all feels like the same. I don't know. Um, know, It's so weird. Yeah. It's this long kind of crazy. So when that happened and I wasn't working for the first week, I I kept calling my clients and saying what's going on. And then I realized this isn't coming. This isn't going to happen. So the following week I said, okay, I have to like not sit at my computer or look at my books. You know what I'm, I have to walk outside. Because we could walk outside in the United States. The, my time friends couldn't even go outside. It was awful. Oh, yeah, so, I was thinking about that. Uh, yeah, they, they couldn't even go outside. So I just literally tried to really detach. It took me the whole month. And then in May, we came back to Italy. We'd always had that plane ticket. We managed to come back. We're Italian citizens and could get back in the country. And they were slowly starting to open again. And we were on the long haul flight flying over. When I let myself think about what had just happened to me, it was like the first time I could really think about what I'd just been through. And I looked at this month of not doing my job that I'd done for Mm -hmm. 20 years. And I realized it was this crazy realization. I can remember the cloud, what it looked like that I was looking at outside of the window on the plane when I realized that the only thing I missed about my job was the money. I did not miss doing it. I did not miss being in front of the computer. I didn't miss my clients. I didn't miss any of it. I only missed the income and, and the feeling that I'd have some income and I'd be safe. So that was just a huge turning point for me sitting there on that plane. And I realized, I said, and this is all in my head. I wasn't talking to anyone. I was sitting there. There was no one on that plane, obviously, at that point, no one going to Italy, no one. And I said, what would my life look like if I could do what I wanted to do? What do you want to do, Jennifer? What do you want to do? I want to paint. I want to paint yes. and live painting, like live painting. And you talked about also that there was this kind of, or there is this stereotype around being an artist. That's not something you can do by, by itself. Yes. It's not a career by itself. So coming to that realization, obviously it took a long time, but that must have been a really revelatory moment where you just go, that is something I can do. And that's all I want to do. Exactly. That is all I want to do. So I was on the plane. I remember I 
I can remember the light and all of it. I said, okay, if that's what I want to do and who I want to be, I'm going to open all the doors to doing it. And I don't care how afraid I am. I don't care how uncomfortable I am. I've been extremely uncomfortable in what I've done over the, this has been a year. It's not been very long, very uncomfortable, afraid, sometimes embarrassing, sometimes feeling way like a fish out of water. But I said, I'm going to open all the doors and everything that comes my way, I'm going to say yes to it. I was just talking to someone about this yesterday. Just the idea of, yeah, opening doors. I'm just going to say yes. I'm just going to say yes. Because I think there's two things. It's learning to say no, but also when you have a new experience, you have to be able to say yes to keep opening those doors. It it was something in my heart, in my soul, in my brain that just clicked. And Mm -hmm. I said, I'm going to say yes. I'd always been very overly sensitive about sharing my work. Even though I'd had successes when I was younger, I got a full scholarship. I had a big show when I was at school and I sold most of my work. I had wonderful feedback from all my professors who were all working artists, very well-known people. But I had always had people say to me, why didn't you tell me you were an artist? Why Mm -hmm. don't you show me your work. For me, the, my, my art would had, had really taken on this kind of cloistered creative experience in my studio that really needed to, to I needed to break that wall down. And so when mm-hmm. I said saying, yes, I'm going to do it. Also, when you have a certain age, like I have, I'm 54 and I was 53 and this happened. This wonderful thing happens where you decide, I don't care if I get rejected. <laughs> it's <laughs> Finally, after all my life trying to please and do the right thing and be in the right place and look the right way. And so much of that has really fallen away from me as I've gotten older. It's one of the wonderful freedoms of getting older to me. So I decided I was going to say yes and follow my intuition. I was going to paint all the time. Every There, there was still no translation work. I, I said, I'm going to paint. I'm going to paint and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to keep painting and so this is when all this magic started happening. And I think that that it's important. That's why I like to share my story because my decision to say yes to that dream, it, it, it was really a dream that I'd had way back. I'd pushed it way down. I'd put it in this little corner. And once I decided to say yes to it, all these things started coming my way. It was like this flood of just random things falling from the sky on my head sometimes saying, do this. It was a really cool time. It's still happening that way today. So I, we came back to our home here in Italy. We had to do a 14-day quarantine. I set up this little art studio here and started painting for 14 days. I said, mm-hmm. I'm just going to go paint. I have enough of my materials and I'm going to paint. On the 14th day, we're out of quarantine and I went and took a walk here. Took a walk. It was a beautiful day. And then the next day I'm sitting at my table here in my house having lunch with my husband because he was not working yet either. And there's this knock on my door. I'm like, who on earth is there at the door? I open the door and there's a man standing there and he says, Hi, do you remember me? And I looked at him and I thought, no, I don't, you know, I, I'm not good. <laughs> no, idea. no, but I said, maybe we met. And he said, hi, I'm so-and-so. And I'm the, I'm that guy who owns the art gallery. I'm the curator who chased you down 20 years ago. Cause I saw one of your paintings who wanted to show your paintings. And I said, oh, I remember you because 20 years ago, I had been so, I'd been in that cloistered weird world of not, no, I'm not going to go show my work. I'm like, how could I do that? 
even though this very well-known, he's like a big deal too here in Italy. He's this brilliant guy and he's an artist and a curator and has a beautiful gallery. And he said, I want to know if you're still painting because I can't stop thinking about that painting I saw 20 years ago that you did. Literally. <laughs> I know. I, I hope just, that your your listeners can see your face. It's fun. You need for them to see it. I just think that's so crazy. I will put it into words in case no one ever sees the, the video <laughs> part of this. But you just blew my mind because I cannot believe, I can believe I've seen your paintings and they're amazing. <laughs> Thank you. But the idea that somebody just, as you're saying yes to this, as this is becoming an idea for you, knock, knock, 20 years ago, it's just, Blows my yes. mind. Yes. <laughs> it was a mind blowing moment. He said, I saw you walking down the street. I'd just taken my first walk after the quarantine. And he said, I saw you and I thought, that's her. That's that artist. That's that American woman. And I really want to show her paintings in my gallery. And then this doesn't happen in the art world. If anyone here is listening who knows the art world, this does not happen. It's usually like you like pounding the pavement to get anyone to look at your art. <laughs> So it's like in the film industry when people are like, yeah, I was discovered working in a cloakroom in Hollywood. And you're like, <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah. That happens to one out of 6 billion actors. Oh, I know. So. See, and, and if he had seen me the year before walking down the street and knocked on my door, I would have been like, oh no, I'm not really painting enough to do that. But this was right after I decided I am going for it. I'm 53. I, if I don't do it now, like, when am I going to do it? So I, I said, Pierre, that's his name is Pierre. I said, Pierre, I'm painting. And why don't we just, why don't I call you when I've got a body of work together? And he said, okay, okay. And he left. And at that moment, I just started painting full on. And I didn't think that I would actually have a show or maybe he wouldn't like it. I just painted. And it was this mm -hmm. wild abandon of painting. And I got, it was this decision that I'd made to say, yes, it really was. It was really one of those magical moments I've had. I painted all summer long. Italy was still on a half lockdown. And I got many other opportunities started coming my way. I started um, my account on Instagram because all of a sudden I realized, oh, there's this social network where people show art. I didn't even know. I was really in my own world. That was a really good tool for me. And it got me past all of my embarrassment, shame, clumsiness. I don't know what I'm doing, feeling about showing my work and self-promoting because self-promoting is huge. If you're an artist, you have to know how to self-promote. And I've learned, I'm still learning all the time. I was going to say, it was amazing because I know that you really only decided to make this a thing a year ago. And I was looking on your Instagram account, you have so <laughs> many followers. And again, it's a testament to the quality of your work, but it's also just it's so difficult to get, you know, self-promotion as an artist, artist is difficult and to get the word out and to see your Instagram following alone. I was just like, wow, in one year as an artist, that's not easy. <laughs> so amazing. I won't make Thank my you. face again, but I will say, <laughs> wow. No, your face last time was awesome. Yeah. The thing with Instagram, I was, what I decided to do with Instagram and just in general was going along with always saying yes, I decided to get over feeling like I was an imposter. Imposter syndrome is very real in, I think most careers, most people, most fields, especially though in an artist, because I looked at the work I saw, people that I loved, people that I admired and decided that my work was also that good. I just decided, I said yes. And I also realized that the fear of being rejected and someone saying no to me is way worse than it actually happening. 
because I've had a lot of people say no to me and a lot of people reject me, but living in fear of that and not doing something is way worse than actually being said no to. If you're said no to, you say, okay, I'll try the next gallery or I'll try the next whatever person. And that that was hard for me to get there because right at the beginning, it was hard to think, oh, I'm going to put my work out there and have people not like it. But I also realized if people love it, there'll be people that don't like it. You, You can't have with any kind of product, artwork, writing, music, I mean, I could go on and on. If people love you, you have to also have people that really don't like you. That's the only way to really find your people. You can't be liked by everyone. I think it was important for me to get over that. And I got over that pretty quickly. Anyone listening here who's scared about self-promoting, because it's so scary at the beginning. It's so scary. It is literally like being a little kid again, and you're going to go up on the stage, you're six years old, and you're supposed to read the first line of the school play and you're you're stuttering and you're bright red. I would turn really red when I got embarrassed and you just do it anyway. And then everyone's clapping. You go, (laughs) you have to get there. It's very challenging. So anyone listening, just go for it. I promise there'll be good times and not so good times, but it's, it's a whole learning curve to go out there, especially artwork. It's like being out in the world in your underwear. You're just, you're just <laughs> naked. And I hadn't thought about it. If people, if you want people to love you, obviously you're going to have to have that extreme dislike or hate as well, because otherwise you're just really down the middle of the road and it's boring. And exactly. Mm. So that's a really interesting yes. way to think about it. How do you think, because you feel less inhibited in self-promotion, but how is that actually translating into your artwork? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. I'm looking at a painting right now thinking about it. I really think that, and any artist that is listening to me knows this moment that happens in the creative process, and it happens for all of us in different ways, and it manifests differently. But when I create, I create very spontaneously, very expressively. I don't have a lot of planning behind what I do which is why my work looks the way it looks. But there's a moment in any painting where you're standing there in front of the painting and maybe you've started it and you're thinking, oh yeah, this is going to look pretty good because this is going to look like that other painting I made that everyone loved. Or this is going to look like people are going to like this. This is not too, I don't know, too something, too dramatic, too bright, too light, too dark. This is going to be really good. So I think I'm going to just stay here and keep working in this vein that I'm in. That is the moment where you have to say, no, (laughs) turn around, turn the painting over on its head, do whatever you have to do, turn the painting facing the wall, go take a walk, do whatever. That's the moment when you have to get over the fear of being your true self and being your true honest self, because honest art is what people love. They don't love when you're trying to copy something you already did or somebody else. People are drawn to honest art. I really believe that. And so that's the moment when you have to take the next step, go into the unknown and do it anyway. Even if you're like, I'm going to paint right over that thing I really loved. It's going because it's not, you know, I think that connects to your question. There's just a moment where it's all about trust. And I think it's about being honest. You got to be really honest and I found the more honest I am in all of my my art process, my creative process, my sharing about it and my self-promotion, the more I get way more connection I have. With the actual artwork. 
With the artwork and with the collectors. Mm. I think collectors really want to know who the artist is and want the story behind the painting, not just the painting. Yeah. You had um, a metaphor for life there. It was like you were, speci- <laughs> you were specifically talking about art. People appreciate an honest artist and they see that in the work and you can't copy something you've done. But I feel like that's kind of for everything, everything creative at least. But I would, maybe if you're an yes. accountant and you're adding numbers all day, you probably want to do the same thing over <gasps> and over again. <laughs> Oh my goodness. (laughs) Now it's your face. (laughs) My heart. (laughs) Oh, But yeah, that's the only time I can really think of that you'd be like, yeah, I have to do the same thing over and over again. Because when it comes to something creative, it should always be something fresh and new. And the best way to do that is through honesty and not trying to copy something you've done before. Exactly. Through bold creativity, you have to go and do it. When I started this journey, I gave myself massive permission to fail. It's like when I said, oh, if this doesn't work, I'll go back. I did the same thing with this. I said, okay, I can fail, but I'm going to keep going. And I think being boldly creative, like you were just talking about doing, I have to be willing to make some ugly art sometimes. I really do. I have to be willing to ruin that painting, waste that whole day doing something that really, I want to cut it up when I'm done. That happens because that's the only way to really get to the really good stuff. And the new stuff too, and to keep growing. Do you ever show things that you feel like are the kind of ugly art that maybe it's <laughs> your, not your favorite, it right. expresses something that somebody maybe needs to see or? Yeah, that's a great question because <laughs> one of the paintings, so back to the curator, he's got a whole different take on this. When I tell him I paint over something, because one of the paintings I show, I, then I'll tell you about the show I did with him. Was, that was another big turning point. But one of the paintings in there, he said, oh, this looks a little different because of the surface. I said, well, it's because I painted over something. He said, what? He was very um, taken aback by that. So I think that what he said is true. He said, but I don't do it. So he said, you should never paint over anything that you do because you don't know the eyes of the person that's looking at that work and what they need to see and what they're looking for. And what." Mm. so sometimes something that I am not thrilled about can speak to someone. But I'm pretty impulsive, and if I it doesn't, if I don't love it, I paint over it usually. At the end of the day, no matter what people need to see, it's your work too. So if you don't love it, yeah. If you made a decision like I'm going to let it all out, you still need to say I'm proud of what I'm showing people, whether they like it yes. or not. That can be their choice. Yes, you have to feel feel authentic. You feel like I'm really, do, you know, being authentic in what I'm doing. Because that's happened to yeah. me where sometimes I love a painting and everyone else looks at it and goes, oh, okay. You know, that, <laughs> that happens too. I have to be okay with that. You don't know. Art speaks to people in many different ways. And sometimes I'll make a painting and for some reason, I've had this happen. Like I've made some pieces of art that a very specific population of people love it and others don't. Like I, I have men who like something for a mm. reason I have no idea really drawn to something other pieces it's it's just this sounds so cliche and silly but i'm gonna say it anyway so the paintings are kind of like my children and i gotta just let them go once i put them out there gotta let them go i publish what i make on my website on my instagram on some other channels and then it's done i'm they're gonna go yeah or they're in a show or they're gonna go and and then i just i i keep moving forward the best way to connect with art is in person. So that's been challenging during COVID. 
hugely yes. challenging. It's getting better now, but it's been really challenging. So you mentioned the um, gallery show. And End so of the cool story. Like, what's the big <laughs> turning point with it? The 20-year crazy story? <laughs> yeah. So that's that, That's a great part of the story. So come. we come to the end of the summer. It was September. And I picked up the phone and called him. And I said, okay, I, I have a body of work. Come see. So he came. And he, he's not a profusely verbal, he's very serious guy. And that's just his way he is. And he looked at everything. I couldn't tell if he'd like, it was, it was very, this was very nerve wracking moment for me. I was going to say sixth grade, or six year old <laughs> school play thing again. Yes. <laughs> yes. In your underwear, standing there, everyone else is dressed <laughs> there. And he said, okay, we're going to do the show in, in October. He just said, and then I went to see his gallery, which is just for a person like me to have a solo exhibition in this gallery, it's on two floors. It's beautiful. It's totally amazing. I, you know, my work requires a certain kind of space and it was perfect. I was just thrilled I was having the show. I hadn't gone beyond having this show and thinking maybe I'll sell something or maybe I'll make a little money. Like I'll be able to have a side gig. I was just literally, I was just going to have the show. I was so excited. And we had this beautiful show and uh, cutting to the chase, I, I sold out of that show. Wow. How many pieces was, could even fit in the show? How, what, what are we the, talking? There were 25 paintings in that show. It was really big. It's a very big space. Yeah, that, that was last October. And that was when I started saying, I'm going to do this for my career. I'm doing this for a living. I just said, I'm going for it. Everything you'd said to yourself was validated, I assume, with that. Is that fair yeah. to say? <laughs> Yes. And it's still hard. I have a lot of challenges. It's not rosy perfect. There's challenges constantly about how to make it grow and expand and work, make it sustainable for me. But that was the moment where I said, you know what, I think I can actually bring value to the world with what I do and get paid for it. And and if I get paid to make my art, I can make more of it. It sounds so simple, but it's that's where it is for me. Obviously, anyone would love to say, oh, I, I want to be a famous, fabulous artist and make a bunch of money and never have to worry. What I really want is for my art to be out in the world and I want to be able to make more of it. That's really the core of my whole business model, if I have one, is to find more avenues for letting my art be out in the world, people finding value in it, and me being able to make more of it. I do think that's the perfect career Venn diagram, if you will, where it's just, I'm doing something I love. I'm adding value to the world and I'm able to sustain it. That kind of, in my mind, making money, I don't know if I said that part, (laughs) but able to sustain it, I guess is the same. But I think if you can find that connection, that's just, that's the dream really. It is the dream. And there's a lot of details around it that are hard that I'm learning. I've had challenges with learning how to price my work, learning learning how to ship my work, learning how to market. Right now I'm in a dead zone because it's summer. I'm learning that no one buys art in the summer. It's just, there's this whole, people are traveling now. They're not buying art. I've had a couple not great experiences with galleries, but I've generally had good experiences. I'm constantly learning. I'm just so happy though, all the time. Like when I walk in the (laughs) studio, I'm coming home. I'm just happy. I don't even know if I said that as part of the Venn diagram, but that's the most important part of all. (laughs) I'm so happy. happy. Yes. Yeah. Just being happy. I really feel like I'm doing what I was put on this planet to do. One of the things that I deal with that maybe women who listen to your podcast might deal with, probably, I'm 54 now. And so there's a part of me that struggles with being in a huge hurry. 
Because I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm 54. I don't want to say I've wasted all this time. I've raised children and, and been married and done all these things, but I'm in a hurry most of the time. And that hurry to be at a different place in this career can sometimes really sabotage what I'm doing and take away the joy, make me anxious, make me question what I'm doing. So that is a piece that I have to deal with on the daily, pretty much. I would say that's huge. I can't speak for people listening, but I can speak for myself in that I am always, I want to be further along because I like doing a lot of things because I've changed careers. And I, I literally have found myself sometimes in such a hurry that I'm not breathing. I'm, I'm actually physically holding my breath and it's just, what am I doing? Just stop and breathe. And yeah, validating what you're doing every day and knowing that you're taking the steps towards something is enough, but it's, it is, I, I wait wasted time doing something else or I'm not as far as I should be. And because you have had success elsewhere, you think, oh, I should have that same level of success. But of course, you're not going to go on a parallel. It doesn't happen that way most of the time. So I definitely think that is highly understandable, at least for me. And speaking for myself, I am a, I'm naturally impatient. So that's not good. Okay. I hold myself to these huge, high standards that I would never hold anyone else to ever. I have this demanding agenda for where I should be, how I should get there, what I didn't do today to get there, what I should have done differently and all that. But it helps me talking to you is helping me because I'm realizing it's not even been one year since I sold my first painting in this business. It's I sold the first painting I sold on October, I think it was the 15th or something like that. I should look at that. That would make me feel better. So yeah. <laughs> I need to look at that. I think, I think most women, and I'm speaking for myself and the women in my life, do that. We just hold ourselves to our standard and we say things to ourselves that we would never say to our best friend ever. Oh, you you failed or you, oh, you're too slow. Oh, you're, you're too old. You should have done that 10 years ago. What, whatever it is, whatever the story is, we would never say that to our best friend who's doing something that we think is amazing and she's just killing it. But we say it to ourselves all the time. So that, that's my biggest challenge right now, truly. Speaking of biggest challenges, I have to say that you were a finalist in the, uh, now I'm going to not oh, even yes. say it in your beautiful Italian. So it's you can see the biennials. Biennale. Yes. (laughs) Um, Perfect. That was very good. I am obsessed with Italy and I'm slowly, I'm convinced one day I will speak Italian. I, I, if you ever go back, don't ever go back to translating, but maybe a little bit of language teaching just for me. Full immersion. (laughs) Yeah. That's the thing. I just need to go move to a mountaintop in Italy and make people talk to me. (laughs) Anyway, not about me. Tell me about this award because with the challenges have come some awards. Yes. Yeah. See, I'd already forgotten about that. There's the story that I do to myself. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. I, so what I've, what I've done since I, so I had this show and I, we moved back to the U S and my art business is challenging because I have a studio in Italy and in the United States. And I pushed them both really hard. When I was in the U S I started looking at options in Italy. I mean, I'm applying for everything all the time, which is why I tell anyone who's listening, don't be afraid to get rejected because you're going to get rejected over and over, but you will apply for something or contact someone or do something that'll be the right fit for you, that they'll call you back. It might be one in 20 or one in 10. And so one of the things I applied for was this show, this important biennial. And I thought, Oh, I'm just going to apply. I did one of those things. That's what I do now. I just apply. And what I do is I look at my work and I say, I 
Me personally, Jennifer Baker, nobody knows her or her name, but my work looks really good right now. And I'm going to pick these five paintings and I'm going to apply and I'm going to tell them who I am and apply. And I got in, I'm trying to think, that was in June. We went to Genova for the opening. It was this big, fabulous weekend long. I couldn't even believe I was there. My name was in this catalog with my painting, big splashed over it. And I was a finalist and they set up my painting in this amazing, beautiful setting with its own wall. And yeah, that happened. I was just so thrilled. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was really amazing. I'm pretty proud of that. And um, I have a show coming up here in Italy with my same curator at the same gallery solo exhibit in October. I think it's opening on the 16th. We haven't quite set a date yet. And I am also working on doing a show in the United States, a solo show in my hometown in Orlando, Florida, which I'm excited about because a lot of the people there who I grew up with knew me as an artist, obviously, because when I was in high school and going away to college, I was the artist and people are thrilled that I'm back doing it. So that's going to be cool. And then I've done, I've taken part in quite a few group exhibitions over the last, how long have we been doing this? Like last year. Yeah. (laughs) It is interesting because when you say that about going back and having an exhibition in Florida, I think there's multiple sides of Florida and a lot of us think of Orlando as being like, but I also think, (laughs) but I also think that there is something about your paintings that I can see just the colors and things that there is a little bit of this childhood growing up in a place like Florida. Yeah, that's been coming back into my work quite a lot recently, the ocean, and I, that's really coming back. The reason I'm doing this show in Florida, this is a piece of my story I didn't tell you, so I'll just throw this out. When I was learning to self-promote and I just started my Instagram account and I just met my curator and I said, well, I'm going to do a big coming out on my Facebook account too. And Facebook are just people that know me. They're, it's, it's like 250 people. I don't have a huge pool of people that I know in the world. And there's quite a few of them that are from Florida. And when I started sharing my work there to people that know me, because on my other account, I do have like 10,500 followers and I don't know anyone there. Mm-hmm. So I do curate what I put on there to a certain amount. I'm careful. But on Facebook, I can just talk to people. All these people came out and said, I want to buy your work. <laughs> like a lot of people who said, I've always wanted your work. I've always wanted to buy one of your pieces. And so I have a lot of Florida collectors, a lot. And I'm going to do a big show there. It's going to be awesome. It was just me hiding for 20 years. I'm not coming out of... The closet, not the closet, just not coming out of the corner, I think. Now it is almost like you had 20 years of creativity that now, just in the course of one year, went <laughs> totally. I, I, I really do believe that, and I always say this about myself because I accuse myself when I talk to myself badly, I talk about what a procrastinator I am. But it's right. not really procrastination. I think I do that pushing things into a corner of my mind. And then all of a sudden, when it comes out, like it really comes out. (laughs) Yeah. So it is interesting because I think when you finally open up that yes, like you said, out it comes. Yeah. I'm very prolific too. I paint a lot. I think it's exactly what you're saying. It's this kind of a buildup of once you open the floodgates. And and for me, it was about giving myself permission to say, okay, I've, I've raised the two kids. I've had the real job. I've done all these things. And once I realized when I started selling work and I realized I can still eat, I can buy bread and I can still sustain myself and my family in a pretty decent way, at least for today. And, and I can do what I love. I can really do it. 
you know, I am no different from XYZ artists that I love who is super successful and lives off their art and has a great, has a great following and makes beautiful art and can live off their art. I'm no different. I could do that. Why am I different? I'm not, I'm not an imposter. I'm an artist. I'm a painter. I I can do that. And so once I started sharing it and people started loving it, it was just this constant, I just really said, okay, I I kept getting confirmation. And yeah, it's been a really cool journey. Like I said, there's a part of me that thinks I can't believe it took me this long, but life is like that. It's just life. That curator knocked on my door that day for a reason. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I've loved hearing about your journey. I do want to ask you if you brought a quote for me today. Oh, I did. I did. I brought a quote by Emily Dickinson because I love her poetry and I read a lot of poetry. And the quote is, forever is composed of nows. I love that. Every time someone brings me a quote, it's they're always so different. But every time it's, I just need a moment that I just go, yes, I love it. <laughs> Please go yeah, on. I love that quote. If you ask me next week for another quote, it'd be different. But right now I'm really in line with what I was saying about giving myself time and being patient and not being in a mad rush because I feel like I've lived half my life and I, I try to be in the present with what I'm doing. Because when we get to the future, we're back in the present again, really. You know, if I'm waiting for next week, next Wednesday, because this wonderful thing is going to happen, when I'm there on Wednesday, I'm not in the future, I'm back in the present. So pre- the present is all we really have. So I try on a daily basis to really stay in the present and dive into my, what I love to do. I, I literally paint every day. And I don't always paint because I'm thinking I'm going to do a show or sell this painting or what I paint because it really feeds, it just feeds me. I also love the idea that when you're waiting for something, oh, next Wednesday, but when Wednesday comes, it's still just today. I've said often that I've, despite moving around, despite changing things, I'm always surprised to find it's just me in a different place or it's just me with a different, (laughs) but it's the same thing. It's, oh, I can't wait for this day to come. Oh, this day is exciting, but it's still just today. It's still or just today. It's I still, still have to now. focus on today. And you can constantly exactly. be chasing and hurrying for the tomorrow, or you can just decide to enjoy the today. That needs to be my mantra right now in life, I think. It's hard, but I'm working on it. I know everybody that hasn't is probably really eager to see your painting. So I will definitely include all of your information in our show notes yes, so people can know where to find your Instagram account and, and see your website and everything. Obviously, if they are someplace they can see the real work, as I wish I was at the moment, they should go see it because I do think I can just tell from seeing things how exciting it would be to see in person. So thank you. Yeah. Hopefully, maybe I'll expand and have keep shows expanding. Everywhere. I love it. That's the plan. And your story was great. And I think the advice for people that really are questioning next steps or worried about being safe, it's great advice because we, yeah. we only have today. Yes. Go for it. I think we're put on, I do believe we each have a gift. We have a calling and we it's called a calling because we need to listen to it and answer it. I really believe that. Yeah. Thanks for coming and sharing it. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kristen. It was great. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. The second chapter is just getting started, so your subscriptions and five-star reviews mean so much. The second chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them, with a specific focus on women 35+. plus. For more about Slackline, visit slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.